Escape from Plan A. Hey, welcome listeners. Another episode of Escape from Plan A for you. I'm your host, Chris, here with a duet with Teen. What's up, Teen? Hey, what's going on? Uh, yeah, Saturday morning. Thanks for making me get up uh, early because I've been waking up a little too late these last couple of days. But, you know, having uh, to do a yeah. podcast, good <laughs> alarm clock. Yeah, oh, that's good. So you get more of a, you get more of Saturday. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. you you get more time. You live longer if you yeah. uh, if you wake up early and not just like emotionally. I, th- I think you just get more time. Yeah. 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 Anyway, uh, so we have this interesting episode for you because uh, somebody in our Discord shared this fascinating article that explained. So, I mean, Tina and I, we both live in New York City, uh, and I, I don't know how many people of our listeners do or even pay attention to politics outside our city, but the New York mayor's race just happened. I think it's like almost 100% chance that Eric Adams will come out the winner, even when all the ranked choice vo- voting uh, comes in. And, you know, there are a lot of his win is fascinating to me, uh, not only because Eric Adams seems to be uh, a very, let's say, quirky character, but you know he is an ex-Republican, ex-cop who praised stop and frisk, uh, and and almost just like exactly a year ago is is when all the the Black Lives Matter, like the resurgent Black Lives Matter protests happened, especially in New York City. Uh, and then here, and the, the next mayor is, is a guy who seems to be against all that. So, uh, so that's very fascinating. But somebody in your Discord shared this uh, interesting article by a guy named Alex Yablon, which explains that fundamentally the divide between uh, Eric Adams, why Eric Adams won, was because he had the support of homeowners in the outer boroughs. And there's this the, the real divide beyond you know class, gen- I mean uh, race, gender, uh, any of that uh, comes down to whether you're a homeowner or a renter, which I found very fascinating because we don't really talk that much about that. Um, so, but before we get started on that, why don't we just give uh, our overviews on on the mayor race? I don't think there's like that much need to talk too much about it, but it does transition nicely into the the meat of the subject. So, so Teen, any thoughts? I mean, I don't know. I think as living in New York, I feel like the the mayor is almost irrelevant. No, exactly. Um, yeah. I don't think the mayor actually impacts like policy that much. That's still like the city and state count, the state assembly and city council that matters more. I don't know. Did did De Blasio really accomplish anything? Did he? I don't know. It's hard to say. It's so hard to say what the mayor's purpose actually is, other than to go and eat pizza on camera and, <laughs> or fries. Or yeah, or, or fries. Yeah. I mean, or, it's a, yeah. like I said, it's 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 a it's a joke of an office. I think you know, and and the candidates were all jokes. I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I definitely agree. And uh, yeah, what was the turnout this year? It's always abysmal, right? It's it's I think so. and they Probably under pur- under a million, I'm sure. Yeah. And, and they purposely like not only do it on an off year, you know, that doesn't coincide with the presidential election. They also don't even coincide with the midterms and they do that on purpose because it's like you got to be a real nut to to be uh, tuned into this you got to have some real actual investment which is well it'll it'll explain why you know if you own property yeah you got real interest whereas if you're just like a political junkie online and you do this mainly for entertainment you probably don't care that much so it 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 really favors those with real skin in the game like Mm. 
you know, well, my... see that that was one thing is I I didn't quite understand the thesis of the article as to why renters don't vote. I mean, I, I know I, clearly it's true. I just don't know. I didn't understand. I didn't really understand the uh, explanation. But you know, I mean, it's, it's like renters have a lot of interests too. Yeah, I mean, we didn't get into that. My my theory is maybe because renters just like like psychologically you, you could leave at any time if, if yeah. you don't like things you're not as invested uh, so uh yeah i i compare it to like kind of like you know how immigrants at least my parents they never were invested politically into uh their surroundings I, like with my parents they always knew they were going to go back at some point yeah so they lived in canada for like almost over two decades but they never really paid attention to politics never talked politics Never uh, integrated with, into society at that level, where right? Because they were essentially renters. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, even if they did own a home, their outlook on on their future was we're going to leave at some point. So mm-hmm. that's my guess that that mm-hmm. you know renters they just it, it's it's easier just to um, kind of disconnect when when you don't feel like you're forced to be there long term. Yeah, possible. Yeah, but um, okay. Just looking at the other, uh, what are you what are your thoughts on on Andrew Yang and his results? If you have any, um, surprisingly bad. I didn't. Re- I went. I actually voted for him. Um, so I thought if a guy like me would go out and vote for him, that he would. I, I thought he might have a decent turnout, at least at least be in the, at least be competitive. But he he bowed out after about two hours after polls closed because he was so far behind. Yeah. Um, well, he did win the Asian like districts or whatever like a lot of like where you live in queens uh like chinatown and manhattan so when you say people like you i'm not sure if you what what you mean but uh, he definitely won the asian vote um well that, yeah, that maybe was that's it. maybe that's part of it was yeah and uh, i think I there's think, yeah. i think there's something a little a little sad about that in in the sense that he for all the flack he got for being essentially some kind of like race trader, especially for that Washington Post article, mm-hmm. in the end he was the chink candidate. Uh, that's those are like the districts he won, and somebody like I, I, I uh, like analyzed the map. It basically broke down by race. Like if you are black, you voted for Eric Adams. If you are white, especially if you're kind of I think older and a bit richer, you voted for Garcia. Um, what am I? Am I? Who who am I missing in that? And then I, I guess I guess Wiley was the one who didn't have a specific race, but mm-hmm. she does still have that social identity in which uh, it, I don't know if you call them like I call it just maybe like the blue check identity, the blues mm-hmm. or whatever. So that's the blue race. So she she had that whole I think sort of post racial diverse liberal uh, you know younger coalition, which is still kind of, uh, you know, when we're talking about social identities, it is, it's not like people rallied behind her for her issues. She represented a specific type of identity. And then and the Yang is, in the end got, got the Asian identity, which is in, in the end, at least in electoral politics, simply not a winning coalition. Yeah. Um, it, but then again, I, I don't guess, I guess I really don't care if there is an Asian mayor or not. And, well, th- well, that's yeah. the thing. I'm glad there isn't an Asian mayor for the, for the precise reasons mm-hmm. you just mentioned. It's yeah. I, I don't even want to call it a ceremonial office because that implies that you're honored and uh, treated with respect and beloved. Yeah. No, it's the exact opposite. I did not want to see uh, like like an Asian man in in that being being the town town fool pilloried for whatever happened. Yeah. So I think in the long run, um, I I've always maintained Yang shouldn't have run in the first place. Because uh, he's at best being kind of like a, a internet influencer type. That's his real calling. Yep. Uh, but 
you know, may, maybe this will this will teach him that you know electoral politics is at least for now not where he has to go. You think this is the end of Yang? I don't think so because I mean, how, how many? If you think of like all the politicians who've done horrible things and and have somehow managed to come back in some way or stay relevant, I mean, yeah. all he did was lose a race. That's not really that big a deal, and right. he has his uh, passionate supporters online, so I'm sure he can leverage that into something. Yeah. That's good to see someone who's sufficiently shameless to, you know, make an impact, I guess. I don't mm-hmm. I don't know. He's just I don't I I just don't I'm a little bit tired of hearing about him. Um I just don't Well, I don't imagine how much more you, we would have had to hear about him uh mm-hmm. if he won. That's that was my fear in that yeah. um and and I think I think it would have brought out the worst uh you know in people and mm-hmm. you know I I think he's I think he's a nice dude who just isn't cut out to be mayor so he yeah. should yeah it could only have could have only hurt him in the in the long run yeah well but uh yeah anyway uh we're not here to talk about the, the exact race of of the mayor uh election let's um let, let's delve into this article so i mean this reminded me of something you said i think several times before when we were talking about after the trump election and you were talking about how some of your friends your like asian american friends their first response had to do with their concerns about their property prices because they were homeowners and they thought Trump would be good, right? For, for the no, no, they value. thought he was going to be terrible. Oh, okay. They, so they thought, what... oh, this is because they thought like, you know, that that would be a, a you know, a very disruptive event. It would be. Ah, I see, I see. It, it would just disturb the status quo and they're, they're always constantly worried that that means it's going to hurt the uh, real estate market. Right. And I, I not, I'm, I'm a renter. I don't even know. Um, I've never even looked into homeowning. And when people s- cite prices for homes, I have no idea if, the, if that's a lot or not. I mean, everything sounds a lot because everything is at least like like a million, it seems. But uh, in the context of home prices, just because I've never looked at that, I know what a good rent and a bad rent is in New York City. I, I don't have a, much of an idea of what a good home price in New York City is. Ha- have you ever been a homeowner? Are you a homeowner? Uh, what are you doing right now? I'm not a homeowner. I have been a homeowner. I, I used to own in New York City. And um, uh, yeah, it, it definitely changes how you think about things because when you own, like I was on my co I was I owned a co-op in Brooklyn and like I was on the board and everything. And you're, you're just very like involved in your, because it's your investment. Mm-hmm. And it's actually kind of stressful. Like I rent now and I, it's a lot less stressful because I don't really care about the value of the apartment, <laughs> you know, but when you, when you rent or when you own, you're constantly thinking about it because, um, one, it, it costs more to own than to rent. I think. Well, that's the, uh, that's yeah. Cause the sometimes problem. my parents still, they'll bug me about, Oh, you, you, are you still renting? Why don't you own a home? But I, I also have a close friend who like you, uh, well, he doesn't live in New York city anymore, but he used to have an apartment. I think he still does actually. He he like can't like he's kind of stuck with it because he can't sell it without taking a big loss. Uh, I uh, I don't know about these, especially these days. Yeah. Uh, so but he lives in L.A. now, so he has to rent it out at a loss. Meanwhile, he has to fuss about you know maintaining it, uh, paying yeah. taxes, all that. Um, so he's just renting in L.A. because he's like oh, I don't want to deal with another one of those issues here. So this idea that buying uh, automatically means cheaper easier uh more money whatever for you in your pocket it's not necessarily true there are advantages to renting uh probably in the long run 
not, you'd rather be a homeowner for sure. But yeah, there are hidden advantages to renting, right? Yeah. And I, I don't know how much more housing is going to be able to go up. I, you never know. Every time I say I, you think that it's like kind of hit a ceiling, it just keeps going up. Um, but it, but I mean, the difference now is the prices do come down. Like in New York, prices have been declining for a while. Um, so, it, yeah, I mean, I think there's more and more homeowners who are feeling the pinch because the growth in real estate prices, it's very spotty, like it went up a lot in certain suburbs and in other certain cities, but it went down in places like San Francisco and New York. And, uh, you know, I think if you bought a place prior to the pandemic, you're probably a little bit underwater compared to then right now, you know? Um, and, you know, I know people that bought right before the pandemic and stuff. It's nerve wracking. It's nerve wracking to think that, you know, you bought something worth, you know, somewhere between half a million and a million starter, you know, starter co-op or condo in in New York City and you lost money on it, like tens of thousands of dollars at a clip, you know. Um, I don't know. It's nerve wracking. It's like owning a stock. If you don't own the stock, you don't think about it. But if you own it, you're just constantly thinking and thinking about that stock and checking its price and stuff. Um, yeah, what so. what made you sell and then not go back? It, was it that you just didn't want to deal with that stress anymore? Well, no, I mean, it was part of a, it was, I mean, I sold it because like, you know, I got divorced and it was like, yeah, you sell it and split it up. But why didn't you uh, buy again? Was it to avoid all that hassle? Yeah, I mean, yeah, because it was also just like, you know, when you get married, you're kind of like, oh, let's put down roots. Right. right. When you get divorced, you're kind of like, oh, let's uproot and get mobile again you know mm -hmm. so it, the last thing on your mind is going to be to to buy a place well at least for me i was like i don't, I don't, I don't know why I would, yeah you know yeah there, uh, there was this article i read on on slate which which was saying like all, all these people are like quitting their jobs and that's a good thing i i don't know uh if if that's like like i know we say that's generally a good thing but we're also talking about you know people who are like in white collar jobs and have saved up and i don't know if if you're more precarious than that if, if that's exactly a good idea i don't know how like tone deaf this article is, is or not but um you know this is like governments generally have a, a strong interest in you know making people want to be homeowners want to uh base you know kind of always want to be working and all that but if, if one pillar of this falls which is uh, hey, it's actually good to 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 quit your job. Uh, is is there a case to be made that hey, maybe like this homeowner uh, aspiration is actually not not all it's cracked up to be? But then again, does that play into this thing? Like you saw that thread, Twitter thread, uh, a couple of weeks ago, right? Where this guy was saying BlackRock's like buying up uh, every single like single family housing, and and they're gonna make us permanent renters. Uh, you mm -hmm. saw that, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a big, it's a big phenomenon. Yeah, right. So it's like, like I think there is this freedom associated with renting, but is that also a trap by like all these big institutions that actually do want to make you probably right? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I think they're both traps. Yeah, uh, that, yeah. There's like yeah. no good. Yeah, what? There's no good way out of it. God damn it. Yeah, exactly. I think home ownership is is oversold. Uh, I've always felt that. I mean, I made money on my place, you know, uh, but. It's like Bitcoin in a way. I mean, it's like, you know, it's you're not you can't have, have you know, who's that guy over at um, Yale Schiller, the guy who does the Schiller index. 
I don't uh, know who that is, but okay, so can you explain Robert, who that is? He's a really famous economist. He won a Nobel Prize for create, uh, and he works a lot on real estate mm-hmm. uh, and looking at historical trends in real estate. And he was like, look, if you crunch the data, if you really crunch the data, he's like, it's very, most Americans will be shocked, but real estate is a terrible investment over time. Oh, really? It's not, yeah. It, that guy totally, that, that, that got totally sort of rewritten um, lately because, you know, for, for various reasons, but there's, there was a huge housing run. Part of it was, was the, you know, the, the, how cheap mortgages got. That was a big part of it. But over the long term, I mean, naturally, if there isn't some sort of stimulus, if, if there isn't some sort of reason why, you know, people are piling into housing, like there's some big effort to get everyone to take a mortgage, it doesn't naturally rise in price that much was his sort of big sort of insight. So I don't know. I don't think it was typically like a thing where owning a home was, it was and I've not always been that you had to own your own home in order to build wealth. But in the past couple of decades, it seems like. Yeah, there's a big difference between those who got in early on real estate, just like there's a difference with people who got in early on Bitcoin. But how long that's going to last, I don't know. Because as with Bitcoin, it's like I think a lot of fools are buying Bitcoin now, and they've got. If you look at the price, they got hurt pretty bad. Yeah, it's this tanked. Year. Yeah, they got hurt, and I think that in the future that could happen with a lot of people who overpaid for real estate, like during the pandemic. You know, like there are bidding wars for houses like in upstate new york and it okay maybe that sounds like the right thing to pile into right now but if you're left holding a house in upstate new york off the grid like meaning like it's not connected you know it has you're a city person and now you own a house that uses a sewage tank you know and <laughs> you have to fill your propane tank to get energy out of, like are you sure that you're ready to be you know a homeowner out there <laughs> so i don't know i i think that a lot of people who Oh, we'll see. I, I'm not totally sold that it's always wise to to own. I just yeah. think that that should be worth questioning. Yeah. Uh, speaking of people who got in early, so this uh, Yablon article that I referenced earlier, uh, it it asks like, why is someone like Eric Adams like where is his power base? Because if you like, he bear he doesn't. I don't think he even has a blue check on Twitter. He's a fucking mayor. I, I think he's yet to have <laughs> blue yeah. check on Twitter. So he he's somehow this guy who is almost irrelevant online. Uh, has quite convincingly won the New York mayor's election as results stand right now. And so it examines who his supporters are, and they're mainly uh, kind of like working class minorities and white people from the outer boroughs. And it's like, what do these people have in common? Because, you know, chances are on social issues, they probably actually have a lot in common, except probably views on things like race uh, because of, you know, their their racial uh, groupings. But the thing that does bind them together is that they are all homeowners in the outer boroughs who got in early on real estate and are benefiting from it. So they have a strong unified interest in making sure property uh, rates continue rising, whatever yeah, whatever yeah. policy that is. And that breaks mm-hmm. across whatever like interpersonal animosities they may have based on like cultural reasons versus who are the people on the other side are younger people probably living more in the in the metro areas, you know, whether it's like Manhattan or Brooklyn, and they're perpetual renters, and they're probably more like transplants. Uh, in that you know they don't have, you know they're they're not like multi generational like descendants of New Yorkers. Uh, so th- those are 
kind of like the two two main opposition groups and obviously people falling in between. But that falls in line with uh, a lot of sentiment you see online. For instance, like on social media, you know that one of the worst things you can be is is a landlord. And it's like, well, I, I can see that. Like nobody really likes, uh, you know, rent seekers in general. But um, why would that be? It's because probably people on social media are younger, probably are the, the renter class. And that is one thing that the renter class does have over the owner class, which is like online presence and then cultural power. Uh, whereas the the homeowner class, they are rich in assets uh, in homes and stuff. Even if their actual, like say, income level is you know solidly working class, they do have these homes that are constantly rising in value, uh, but they are invisible uh, in culture. So I think that sets up a fascinating. It explains why, for for instance, um, I think something like woke culture is so is getting 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 more and more strident as things uh in terms of like economics seem to just be uh being conceded it's like okay well if you are the renter class what is like the only way you can really express your anger is is go online and invent about culture try to shape it because that's that's one thing you do have power over and occasionally you might make a splash in electoral politics but time and time again whether it's someone like joe biden or eric adams it seems like you're losing and if you're already homeowner class you're like well fuck these annoying you know prissies and punks uh online and and their you know crappy shows and, and tv whatever I'll, I'll just watch old reruns on some classic network and i'll continue voting in the politicians i like and and i'll win in the end so what are your thoughts that i mean it explains why stuff like that happens i think to me. i think that makes sense i mean i think the problem with the article is that it's trying it's still it's doing too much i mean i think there is a big difference in um the political in the political views of homeowners versus renters, but I don't think that amounts to that being the primary class divide in America. I don't, I just didn't buy that part. Like just because you have different politics, I don't know if that necessarily is the primary uh, class division, though. I think it is a big division, but I think it might be like sort of a, the division between people who kind of recognize themselves as sort of the underclass. And then this sort of like middle tier of like homeowners who are kind of like, I don't know, like petty bourgeois sort of, uh, you know, I side with, I, I think of, I throw myself, my, myself in with the millionaires and billionaires because I'm a homeowner, but they're not actually, in my opinion, like, you know, this sort of like rapacious landlord class. They just own a house. You know what I mean? So they're, their struggles and stuff are really similar to people who rent. I don't think that they're like opposed to each other. But there is, I don't know, there is something about owning that house, worrying constantly, because you're taught to think of your house as a as a financial investment. So constantly worrying about the, the price of the comparables in your area, looking at, you know, things like, oh, they want to open up more housing shelters. Your first worry is that they're going to do it in near your neighborhood, right? Um, things like that. And you vie, like your, your neighborhood is really incentivized, especially owner class neighborhoods to organize because you want to go out and you want to compete for city resources and attention. And, you know, you want to make sure that your streets get shoveled. You know, you want to make sure that your roads are fixed and that, cause that helps your, your, uh, pr your property values. And so they're much more organized and they, they're just very practical. Like homeowners are just very practical. I don't think it's that ideological. 
I don't think they care. I mean, I, I, I knew most of the people in my 40 some on unit building and they span the gamut in terms of their politics and their backgrounds. But we were organized in saying, you know, we had their certain quality of life things and there's certain services that we all cared about. So it was not really like forming some like right wing ideological base of people. But they are strongly organized in terms of their interests in just having the city provide services and all this stuff. Um, and so Eric Adams, I think he's really the Republican candidate. I mean, all the action happens in the Democratic Party. So he's a Democrat because that's where the action is. But he runs on a what is would be a Republican sort of uh, a Republican kind of law and order uh, kind of thing. So I think homeowners look at them and they're just like, I, I don't know if they necessarily love them. I don't know if they're just like, oh, yeah, I love cops. But they just look at it and they're like, yeah, we're not having any more of this left wing shit. We're not having any more. We're not like, I don't want to have any more of this uh, defund the police. I don't want any more marches in my neighborhood. I don't want any more, you know, burning cop cars in Brooklyn, which is like exactly where a lot of the sort of front end of the, you know, owning class have moved out to. So. Yeah, I think they were like, no, fuck it. I'm, I'm tired of this. I want a cop that's just going to restore order. I can yeah, see and mm-hmm. I think I think you're right in that. It, it doesn't stem from some kind of like Blue Lives Matter ideology or, uh, you know, this reverence for, you know, if you ever read um, Bullshit Jobs by Graeber, he talks about how policing for especially kind of uh, white working class people is this last uh it's like the one thing that's left to them. That's like a, a meaningful job. That's not, that's not a bullshit uh, soul crushing job. It's like well-paid relatively speaking. You get to feel like kind of like a superhero uh, and all that. I think it's less about that, but it, it, yeah, it's like, I don't want these marches because they might damage my property. They might set fires to my neighborhood. Right. And that's going to, that's going to chase out business or it's just going to give us a bad reputation. And I think that explains why, if there is one explanation for why Andrew Yang underperformed, it could be that a significant number of Asian voters actually voted for Eric Adams, like uh, the kind of same crowd that he was chasing, that the people who were concerned about you know property values and things like that actually went to Eric Adams because, yeah, uh, ideologically or or whatever they might have been. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be nice to see kind of like ranked one of number our own. two. It was ranked voting. So I could see them putting Yang number one and then and then Eric or Adams even like number Yang two. number two, uh, yeah. you know, which Possibly, didn't, yeah. didn't allow mm-hmm. Yang to run up the margins where he should have been, which is why he only got what, like 11 ish percent of the first choice votes. And uh, you saw that quote, right, from I think this was an article that came out a few weeks ago, but it was about how there was actually in Chinatown. Uh, some tensions between Yang and Adams supporters, uh, you know, despite the fact that obviously Yang is Chinese, uh, some people wanted to vote for Adams. And, and one of the, I thought, most illuminating quotes was uh, this older Chinese uh, man. He was like saying, yeah, you know, Yang's cool and all, but in the end, like Eric Adams can actually advocate for the policies we want without being accused of being anti-black or anti-brown, which all the stereotypes about you know, stupid, uh, ignorant immigrants who don't understand American politics. That is a very good understanding of American politics, don't you think? It is. And I think, but I think people in Chinatown, the ones that I've talked to before, the guy like, you know, Vicky or something, they, or Carlin Chan, they know that that is the issue. And they're divided on it. I know. Wait, like what's he, the, what do you mean by the issue? Uh, wh- how to take, how to, whether there is an, an active coalition with black New Yorkers. And, um, 
whether whether people in Chinatown should sort of like naturally adopt, you know, coalitional uh, coalitional views with black New Yorkers or not. And I think this this past year, I think they've probably fallen towards not, you know, because, you know, but 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 on the other hand, I, I can see what he's saying because he's like, but Eric Adams isn't that kind of black guy, right? He's the law and order ex-cop black guy that can, you know, so I could see how they're like, yeah, uh, he, he would be able to confront the thing that, you know, more head on than we would be able to, because we have all this pressure to be coalitional with a certain type of black movement or, you know, black agenda, I guess. Well, well, that's the thing, like coalitional with what kind of, for example, like black politicians or black activists or because, right. Because, Eric Adams, I, I think this is one of the things why uh, liberals, I mean, did you see that god-awful Michelle Goldberg piece in the New York Times where she was contorting herself trying to explain why she was going to rank Adams above Andrew Yang? And I, yeah. I think yeah. I think ultimately it comes down to the fact that Eric Adams genuinely has a working class black and, and probably brown, I haven't seen the stats, but definitely working class black support. The, the people that the liberal elites always claim to have uh, a lookout for, even though it's pretty clear they, they really don't like them that much, except when they come in electorally handy, like say boosting Biden uh, or something like that. Kind of like older yeah. working class, older, uh, yeah, uh, socially mm-hmm. conservative uh, black voters. Eric Adams genuinely has their support. So they, I think they realize it would look really bad if they attack um, uh, like a black politician, especially like, the first black mayor uh, since, you know, uh, Dinkins. And he is actually supported by the black working class and, and for them to attack him. I, I think they realize that looks really bad. But, you know, Andrew Young, fuck him. He's, he's, he's an Asian dude. He, he you know, went to good schools. Um, we, we can throw him under the bus. And oh, yeah. Well, the Asian working class has no power. So. Yeah, that, that, that's even more disgusting, right? Mm-hmm. The, the Asian working class. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you're, you're kind of going down this route of saying that you know, Eric Adams sort of presents this very tricky uh, thing for for liberals. You can have more than one type of black coalition. Like you don't have to ally right. yourself with like the like say the the, the people who would support Amaya Wiley because mm-hmm. Eric Adams has a genuine uh, black base of support, and Eric Adams was among the few uh, candidates who, for example, backed the SHSAT, which. I think if you ask probably like the average working class Asian American what their top two priorities are, number one would be like physical safety. And again, I, I think this has nothing to do with some kind of like ideological love for the cops, but more just like, hey, we're on the streets. We're the ones getting attacked. Per- give me some kind of solution that at least plausibly sounds like it's going to work. Mm-hmm. And if it has downsides, then let's let's uh, reinvestigate. But don't just don't just uh, rule it out without even trying it when it seems like it's, it's the most obvious solution, which is, you know, just like more protection on the streets. And I think number two would be, hey, uh, give our kids a chance to succeed. We can't afford the fancy private schools. So our, our main shot is to get access to these free uh, like magnet type schools, which will uh, give us the best shot at really uh, for people like us, like working class Asian Americans, the only real shot at uh, climbing, uh, like the social mobility, it's our best shot at it. We don't really have much else, so I would think that those would be the two key issues for 
most working class Asian Americans. And someone like Eric Adams uh, does fall in line with that. So I'm guessing they took a look at him and Andrew Yang and be like, who's more likely to actually get that stuff done and not be constantly faced with criticism? Because they, they probably saw how Andrew Yang got attacked from like everybody, uh, especially like uh, mainstream liberals, like the New York Times and, and that establishment. Yeah, I think, um, I think, yeah, I think this shows how like the liberals don't, you know, they're, they really take for granted that their woke, their brand of woke liberalism is that they've got a huge tailwind of quote POC support. Like everyone's at home just tearfully taking in, you know, their whole uh, sort of moralistic based messaging. But when it really comes down to it, and I think it's in city politics where this happens, like ultimately when people interface with their local government, they, they just want results. They're not, it's just not like city government is so much less ideological than like national government, you know, mm-hmm. and people just want shit to work. And like one example was that Richard Carranza guy, like, oh yeah, you know, the first thing was he was the chancellor of, of the school system in New York and uh, New York city. And like, Initially, the liberals tried to box in Asian Americans as being this like, you know, one sort of like freak group that, you know, suddenly had a problem because Carranza wanted to integrate the schools and dismantle toxic white toxicity and and all this stuff. And so this there was this belief by liberals that Carranza was actually a righteous guy, but there were just this problem with a few low class Asian Americans who wanted to who thought that they, you know, keeping Stuyvesant like above 50% Asian or whatever was a good thing. And so they tried to blame it on Asians or whatever. And then it turns out over time, like everyone hated Carranza. <laughs> White people hated Carranza. Latino people hated Carranza. Black people hated Carranza. Uh, because he, he, it wasn't just that, you know, he wanted to get rid of uh, SHSAT or whatever, but he had a whole host of other fucking problematic, uh, you know, ways of 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 fucking up the things that people wanted out of the school system um so and he was just pilloried and stuff and i think that really caught liberals by surprise because they thought hey this is guys all about dismantling whiteness or toxic whiteness i thought you would like that you know so i don't know i guess yeah i guess the point being i don't know how if we can tie the homeownership thing back into this but uh yeah i mean ultimately when you get to like New York City, I feel like trying to trickle down that liberal, the woke liberalism that has taken hold at sort of a national level, it just doesn't, it can't fully jump the rail into local politics. And I think that's kind of what that article was trying to get at. Like how come there's this sort of like renaissance of leftist organizing and thinking, especially in New York City, but then when it comes down time to vote, we get Eric Adams. I was going to say, well, um, you know, isn't AOC, you know, she won her local district, but still that's a national office though. Yeah. Like she's a Congresswoman. So mm-hmm. it is more about expressing your ideals or whatever. Cause she's not gonna, like, she's just one of, you know, several hundred in, in that, in that body. Whereas you, you are electing like, well, I, we, we said the mayor doesn't really have any power, but you know, the, the, the mayor is supposed to be like the Supreme leader of New York city. So mm-hmm. it's beyond just symbolism. Now you got to actually start thinking about, uh, you know, your material interest uh, and you know making trades and becomes much more of like a, a transactional thing. 
as opposed to something that's purely more for what what is the expression of of the best most idealized version of my beliefs or something yeah i really don't think asian homeowners for an example are going to derive a lot of pleasure knowing that the or or security in the mere fact that the mayor is asian I, i i don't know like it's not like Asian New Yorkers are not already familiar with Asian politicians who don't we don't like, right? So the mere fact of like a politician being Asian is not any sort of it doesn't you know it's you're not just you're not gonna like that's not gonna nourish you all the time, you know. But knowing that you have a mayor that has clearly articulated a sort of like pro homeowner, uh, you know, pro clean up the streets, pro law and order, and that's everything that has given me, you know, a headache or nightmares over the past year, you know, that's going to override the sort of sense of identity politics that somehow, I mean, imagine like a very, I mean, imagine if Andrew Yang was more of a woke liberal, you know, I think he tried, he actively tried to reject that, but he still was of that in that realm. But like, imagine if, there was an Asian version of like Wiley, you know, like a very liberal woke Asian, maybe like an Art Chang was, would be an example. Yeah. If, if, yeah, if he were, uh, had more support. Yeah. Yeah. So Art Chang, Art Chang has more New York bona fides than Andrew Yang does. And I mean, Art Chang is from here. Right. Um, but there'd be no support for him. Like just like Art Chang got no support. Cause they're like, that's not, I don't give a shit about your woke politics yeah it's like uh <laughs> you know the the chinatown uh, you know elmer's type of asian american would be like, like this guy's not one of us and Her at the same time him. the progressives would be like yeah but he, he's like a, a straight asian dude he doesn't really bring that much uh of that identity politics cred so you know like someone like him is, is just going to be totally irrelevant yeah he's a true believer that's the problem is he's he, he's really bought into woke liberalism as an ideology but he doesn't he doesn't know how to game it or use it to his advantage which other people are yeah so yeah uh with yeah i think that gets to an important point especially when it comes to what we see in in like internal asian american struggles you you have like one group that's operating at a very uh, immediate uh, material level in which i i need to protect my business i need to protect my my own back whenever I walk on the streets right. versus uh, people who are operating on a more kind of figurative or emotional level, uh, you know, both, for example, on the pro and anti-Yang side. I think mm-hmm. people, uh, on especially online, who are so invested... Look, Andrew Yang had a lot of support from non-New Yorkers, for example. It's like, wh- why do you care so much? And so for whatever reason, um, whether they were Asian or not, they were really emotionally invested in him. But materially it didn't really matter to them whether he won or lost and i the same goes i think for people who are like so opposed to him uh it's it's like oh you're gonna criticize him, for example on his stance on let's say like standardized testing for the specialized high schools it's like do you have kids who you know would otherwise go to a crappy local public school but you can't afford a private school so you know aiming for for the stuyvesants or the you know brooklyn techs are your main are your main hopes of, of getting your kid into college. And you don't have a network of people you can lean on, uh, you know, if your kid doesn't get into an Ivy League or equivalent school. They probably don't have those interests. They too are operating on a 
a, a level of, of mainly kind of like emotional connection or disconnection w- with the candidate and what they think he or she represents. So that's often, I think, again, uh, an expression of class privilege where like you get to live like a, a life of the mind where you are, mm, yeah. everything is theoretical. Everything is um, philosophical. Whereas for right. another class of people, it's like, no, like I, I need to eat. Like if this person loses I'm, my business might might go under in like two years and, and I have no savings or whatever. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I, I think that's a, that, that is um, one of the, I guess that's one of the, that's the dividing line between classes, class identity, I guess, you know, is, is like, there's a class of people that have to worry about very mundane shit all the time, mm-hmm. you know, and there's another class of people that don't. And I think that in a way, you know, even within the homeowner class, there's a class of people that have to really worry about it and a class of people who just sort of own, but they're not really, they don't really care that much. Meaning either they, they bought properties that will are not precarious in terms of value because they're living in the Upper East Side, you know, or, or, or wherever, like another very like sort of enclaved area where home home prices are very stable or always going up and, you know, but if you live in one of the outer boroughs and you know you're, you're living in Staten Island, you're living over where I live or something and you paid out paid out the nose because property prices were really high the past 5 years, you worry because your neighborhood is not necessarily going to go always in a great direction. Yeah. Also, you probably have no other assets. Like if you are yeah, exactly. a, a rich no person assets, yeah. in, in like the Upper West Side or Upper East Side, you probably you know, you got your stocks, you got you got probably a, a second or third home somewhere that could offset whatever uh scary uncertainties you might have in in one property but yeah if you are kind of like living way up in the bronx and you have a home that's probably your your only meaningful asset oh for sure i think i think the immigrant uh heavy areas especially like where i live that is you know you save money a lot of the people save money uh just to put it into a house and often the times they'll maybe go in together with another family to do it um or uh, people here, they buy a house and they have like f- a single family home traditionally that they have like four tenants. You know, they're like a little mini landlord. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, real estate is a huge currency in, you know, in immigrant neighborhoods or whatever. And it's like taxi medallions, you know, like those taxi medallions, they were going for like half a million dollars or whatever. Yeah. If you pay that much money for a taxi medallion, I mean, you're really going to care uh you know, at a very fine level, whether the value of that goes up or down. Yeah, I mean that's you know, five hundred thousand so. dollars. That's that's like indentured servitude. Like how to how, how long is going to people take were to killing themselves over this? No, they were like, they were committing suicide over this. Yeah, I can't yeah. I can't afford like five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, oh my god. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think home ownership, you know, it means different things to different people. So I mean, still, even that article, I just I just found it. It's a good start. I just don't think that you can so cleanly divide the world into the haves and have nots by looking at who owns and who's rents. There's very, there's some very rich renters. And I mean, who's paying $10,000 a month rents? That's everywhere, you know? Right. I think especially outside of New York city, probably like New York city mm-hmm. is outside of big cities, uh, period. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I think that's a good point too. Also that, um, you know, just cause you're rent. And, and that's probably another difference between like an outer borough homeowner and say a renter in, in like Williamsburg or, you know, Greenwich village or something where, mm-hmm. Yeah, like the renters are technically poorer maybe in that they have less income and they don't own a home. But 
they either probably have like family wealth that allows them to, you know, rent without, you know, live in a pricey part of New York City, probably working a job that's high in prestige, but not, not the highest paying. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I, I think when we talk about, well, what is wealth? What is power? What is status? It, it's not simply always just going to come down to income or even, even like the value of your property. And that, that, that might also be a reason why if, if you're like a renter who, who's, who may be broke, but aren't poor, your, your level of emergency. And I got, I got to get, make sure that my, the, the guy who has my back in power is not as immediate. Cause you know, worst comes to worst, you can just move to another city. You might even want to move back home for a bit. Uh, whatever you're going to, you're going to complain. You're not, you're just, you're not as staked, right? Like yeah. you don't, you, you, it's like being at Vegas, but you don't have money on the table. You don't, you're not really like sweating and focusing on what the dealer is doing. You, you don't give a shit, you know? Mm-hmm. So your opinions are probably a lot less, um, a lot less committed than someone who is constantly thinking about their house. They're tethered to it. Uh, so I think that's, that's part of the the thing that, doesn't maybe the way you're breaking it down makes more sense it's it's not necessarily left versus right which i think is a na- more national level concept but it's more about like you know, are you really paying attention to local politics and what's going on with the zoning laws and what's going on with the tax the you know what's going on with this whole uh tax rebate program uh what's going on with this redevelopment program that's going on near i mean when you own a house you are completely 100% reading patch.com or whatever, you know, the Brooklyn Eagle to find out what's going on in your local area. That's why there's such a thing as this, these hyper local news, I think is news for homeowners, yeah. you know, and they, they're constantly tracking what's going on in government and, and, you know, whether this huge uh, real estate development that's going up near them is going to have too many affordable housing units. And I mean, you really care about this shit. And it's because you own a house. If you don't own, you don't give a shit. Yeah, you know, and, it doesn't make a damn bit of difference to you. <laughs> and like a lot of, I think, especially leftist movements, they try to. I think they want it to be more about a, a matter of will. If you just like care enough about local politics, you just got to care about it the same way you mm-hmm. care about your favorite like TV show or whatever. Yeah. But you can never compete with someone who actually has invested way more than you. Uh, whether it's you know having owning a home or having like a kid in the school system mm-hmm. as well-informed as, uh, as genuine you can be as long, you know, even if, if you've lived in that neighborhood for a long time as like a renter or whatever, it's just really hard to compete with somebody who has real money, uh, that's going to fluctuate up and down with the system has their like flesh and blood and their outcome tied to the system. It, it's, it's just very difficult com- to compete with that. Right. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, another example that kind of, seems to cut against what you're saying, but actually supports it, I think, is that people who have like rent control uh, or rent stabilized apartments, um, they're renters, but they tend to be more bought into politics because they have a stake in the system. They have a stake in rent control and rent stabilization, right? So there are, uh, if you talk to people who live in rent stabilized apartments, they're kind of like quasi owners in the sense that they're always focused on things like, uh, they do care about uh, cost of living and, and property prices, but kind of in an inverse way, because when it gets gentrified, they're like, oh no, the board is going to allow a higher increase in rent this year and all this stuff. But because they have 
a stake in the legal system or in the in the in the they have a stake in the system um they they pay more attention because it immediately affects you know how much their rent is going to go up versus and and these are people who probably have lived in their apartment they don't want to give it up right so they've been living in there for 10 15 years so they're kind of like quasi owners um so what's, what's my point my point is like it's, i think it's more you're right I, I think it's more it's not whether you own or not whether you're a landlord or, or landlord or not but whether you are staked and the younger the younger crowd i feel has not had an opportunity or yeah to to really get staked so they they can just yeah you know, they can just kind of go off into whatever crazy kind of politics they want because it there's no bottom line for them went to this stuff or i mean there are definitely stakes uh you know for for people like that but it's mm-hmm. also often vague very uh like the time horizons are often very long like so you know something like say climate change or even something like the mm-hmm. economy it, it's it's very you know it, it's it's not immediate it's not right before you uh, yeah they whereas, have like existential issues right, right. They, like the future <laughs> right yeah. they're thinking about the future they're thinking about you know bi- and bigger problems whereas when you're staked i mean you have like immediate fucking you know you have immediate local problems which actually ex- explains why uh people like that would be more concerned about national or hell even international politics because that is where you can talk about the future the existential stuff yeah and that's where it's welcomed that's where it's encouraged but you know i bet if you go to your like a local uh whatever like assemblyman's meeting and you start talking about like climate change whatever people be like no no no, we, we got this like sewer that needs to be cleaned up uh yay or nay how much should we spend on you know that kind exactly. of that kind of stuff and be like exactly. oh boring whatever i'm, I'm yeah. out of here yeah, it's boring until you own a house, and then it's right. very interesting. Yeah, right? Then that sewer really matters. Yeah, yeah, then that sewer matters. Yeah, exactly. You can't just like pick up and move. Um, yeah. Yes. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, to clo- mm-hmm. close this pot out, uh, you and Jess uh, started having, I think, a very interesting discussion about the musical Rent. Hey, we're talking about Rent. Uh, we we oh, can't right. not yeah. talk about Rent. Yeah. And um, you you had this theory uh, all about it. Uh, so wh- why don't you tell the listeners? Because uh, I think that's uh, worth a chat. Oh, uh, what did I say? Oh, I was just saying like, yeah, uh, that. And uh, was it you? I think you brought up this idea of like the property rich, culture poor elite, and yeah, the, versus the culture rich, asset poor. Uh, well, you know? Well, not necessarily the elite. Uh, I mean, depends on how you define elite. Uh, mm-hmm. But let's say, like, if if the Adams supporters are rich in assets uh, relative to to the renters, they're deficient in culture. Not not in the sense that they have bad taste or whatever, mm-hmm. but more in the sense that they don't have access to power to the New York Times or uh, you know the Netflix or oh, Hulu. I they're see. they're not the I creator see. class in that. They're okay. completely excluded and probably mocked. Uh, okay. versus the, the renter class, maybe like the more like wily voter types. Um, they are poor in assets, but rich in culture. Rich in culture, yeah. Uh, and yeah. then you went off mm-hmm. and uh, you know brought up rent and how that was an example of allowing the, the culture poor but asset rich class to kind of, I don't know, feel enlightened um, by the... From by the struggles of the, yeah, of the they were class. using these. I mean, they were literally called. It, they were literally defined by the fact that they were renters or squatters, I guess, uh, in New York City, and I mean the the rent characters, 
and um it w- it was yeah it was the sort of like 90s look at because you know in the 90s that's when they were really pushing the whole home the ownership society thing and, and they were trying to pile people into mortgages and stuff and it seemed like there were this bohemian class of squatters and pretty outdated idea now i guess but that were living bohemian but authentic creative lives in new york city but they were you know they were renters they didn't own anything they were constantly being harassed by the land their landlord their ex-friend landlord and benny. um benny yeah and um i don't know what was i trying to get at yeah i mean i thought that rent was it it wasn't it was clearly like bullshit you know but it was this belief that you had this sort of like underclass of people who didn't own anything but were like sort of free to create and to think and to you know yeah free to create their horrible documentaries yeah which kind of shows that i think that you know rent was not exactly like highbrow you know like a lot of like middle class tourists from midwest would come to new york city and they would be like i have to see rent and i think that in a way that shows you that i think a lot of people feel bored by sort of suburban homeowner existence and that there's something exciting or something about not owning you know and just being this this sort of free-floating untethered creator uh it probably said more about that i think um than anything about the subject matter of rent yeah like you won't get musicals glorifying the homeowner out of borough lifestyle uh or the suburban lifestyle i mean when, no. when it is portrayed uh, you get something like American Beauty, right? Where it's mm-hmm. just, uh, which, hey, listeners, uh, soon we will do an episode where we compare a bunch of uh, late 90s movies, including American Beauty, The Matrix, Office Space, Clock Watchers. Yeah. I think that's yeah, the one Liza wanted watchers. to know. Yeah. There's another movie called Fight Clock Club. Stoppers. And I, mm-hmm. I, I I thought, I keep getting them mixed up. And then I think mm-hmm. there was a fifth one that I'm missing. Maybe Fight it was Fight Club. Club. Yeah, Fight yeah. Club. Uh, that will That will, I think, talk about this. Although it's different because I, I think that kind of suburban ennui is, is is of a much like higher class, like echelon than like say like a like a typical like Eric Adams voter type. But you know, oh, it's, like, yeah, for sure. it's still yes. generally kind of uh, you know people on on the outside uh, expressing their their boredom and things like that. But um, oh, Jess also said that we shouldn't talk about rent until we also talk about La Bohème. I, I don't know what, what I have to say about it except that a few years ago I saw it and mm-hmm. I was I was a little confused because the opera? The, yeah, the opera. Because mm-hmm. I, I watched the opera and, and at least the way it's set up, I mean these people are supposed to be, you know, these very poor starving artists. I mean, first of all, I mean they're opera singers, so they're obviously not gonna get the starving part right. Mm-hmm. But it's it's um I don't know, they just seem to be like feasting and partying <laughs> all the time. Yeah. And not like party you know like in titanic when all the on the pours in the steerage class are having a party not that kind <laughs> yeah. of party. Like, they look like legit partying with big you know cooked gooses and oh. <laughs> and drinking uh you know relatively decent wine i don't know it's i just didn't buy it uh but they weren't uh they weren't dancing with brooms and juggling potatoes or <laughs> yeah, exactly. whatever they do in the lower level. or you know dancing with, with their little like Cold daughters who are, who are about to pass away from uh you know bronchitis or something like that it's you know, <laughs> yeah. they, they look very well fed they look very rosy cheeked and uh-huh. then uh suddenly at the end um who, mimi i guess dies and like hey what what, uh-huh. what the hell <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh, it's Mimi and Love Him too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, Rent is the kind of modern day version yeah. of La Bohème. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, but both the, the female characters are named Mimi. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, I think Rent, look, I don't think it's aged very well. <laughs> no, I mean, it was pretty, oh, I, I was just in the theater. I actually just saw uh, In the Heights in the theater. It's like, uh, uh-huh. not, not a good movie. I don't know how uh-huh. it got such high ratings. Uh-huh. Uh, I saw a preview. They're making... Starring Andrew Garfield, it looks like like a Jonathan Larson biopic. Jonathan Larson's the guy who uh, wrote yeah. Rent, yeah. And I mean, like it, it kind of has a, a famous behind the scenes story because he he died, I think, of an aneurysm right yeah. when it was about to premiere. Yeah. But it's like, do, do we really need a, a biopic about the guy who wrote Rent? One one of the most, I think, it's one of those musicals that, oh, personally, I I I like it. Like the music is. It has a lot of like good songs, I think, but it's one of those things that nobody really wants to admit they like after the age of like sixteen, probably. Mm-hmm. When everyone goes to that, especially if you don't live in New York City, like, oh my god, I love Rent, and I'm gonna go to New York City, and I'm gonna live in the East Village and be a starving artist, and then they realize at like seventeen or something that that's really embarrassing. That's a really embarrassing mindset to have, and the musical's bullshit. You know what? I, you know what I was wondering though, like, is it? it I think it it is cringy in a certain way, but because it's because of its success, meaning like the, its vision of bohemian life in New York, this sort of, um, and I don't mean like the story or whatever, but just like the the sort of, the you know how it, like none of the characters were really they weren't like really. They weren't intellectuals. They weren't like pushing some no, new form they're, of they're art. All, they're all they suck. They're yeah. they're they're not creative. Yeah. They're they're horrible, generally horrible friends to each other. Yeah. They they're not interesting at all, and and they're they're just jerks to like their parents, to their to their other you know so called friends. Yeah, um, they're, they're, they're self like character. But but the only thing that, the thing that makes them special is that they, it was a very like gender, uh, sexuality, and race diverse group. Right. Yeah. It was there was heavy on trans characters, gay characters, black characters, things like that. And the, the 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 bohemian quality of them was identity, and that won out. I think that the 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 idea that you could have a bohemian class, this creative class that has nothing to say, it has no innovations of any kind, but it's just merely like you know I'm a marginal human being and I want to be seen. That that was rent fundamentally was right no that, that's a solid point whenever yeah. i i mean i call i call it like, like the buzzfeed mentality this like dream mm-hmm. that uh one day america will essentially be ruled by um a diverse and when i say diverse it, it's, it's in a very superficial sense like racially uh gender gender wise and and you know more recently even like outside of the the gender binary like mm-hmm. like you will have this colorful both literally and figuratively in that they'll you know wear all sorts of like very colorful fashion um I, and i can't think of I, I can't help but think these are people who like took rent way too seriously like they saw the final bow of the cast and they're like oh my god i i love that so much and i want me or at least my group to be to be part of that i, I can i think of like say a young asian american being like oh my god there's no there's no asian american in that and my life's goal is to make sure that in the one day what I hope will be the ruling class of America, which is essentially the cast of Rent, I will make sure there's an Asian American in there. And that, that, <laughs> yeah, that's just a feeling yeah. I get. Uh, but yeah. yeah, you're totally right about that. That that ideal, uh, as ridiculous as the show itself uh, is, 
that idea still persists and it is it taking quite a strong hold, at least mm-hmm. on, on the liberal side. Yeah, I mean, they I mean, to go from rent to uh, Hamilton, I, I'm not sure we're going in the right direction. You know what I mean? No, no, definitely the wrong direction. So, yeah. So, you know, I don't know, maybe 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 rent. Uh, well, no, I, maybe rent. I feel like something something actually started with rent. JCK recently said rent was like a hugely impactful thing. I think he's right. If you really think about it, it, rent and friends really rent was like the diverse friends, you know, that that is that's true. It's like mm -hmm. if you criticize uh, the friends of friends of being too straight and white and kind of uh, upper middle class, then rent Mm -hmm. is at least superficially the cure. They're not all white. They're superficially kind of lower class. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah, and, and they're they're like radical unlike. I don't know if anyone's. But there's no the meaningful difference of, between them. Yeah, you know? but in the end, you you still kind of get the, the same result because I think it appeals to the same. Uh, I, I think it appeals most strongly to to the same. To crowd. the same people, yeah, to yeah. the same crowd, yeah, which is kind of like well-educated, sure. well-meaning type of liberals who, um, I think, have this uh, kind of missionary mindset in that we need to spread our ideals. And we need them to filter down. I mean, you've been talking more about it, about the whole like religious aspect of wokeness. And I think it appeals to, to the same thing where it, it, we, we need to get ourselves in power because o- only we can, through our virtue uh, and preaching, which is, I guess, is kind of universal. It's the same thing right wing does, right? They always think they can preach the, the country into goodness or punish yeah, them they into use, goodness. They, they, you, know? you know, I've noticed, we can talk about this on another pod because I know we're, we need to wrap this up soon. But like, yeah, about that thing, I mean, like, you know, the sort of like liberals always tend to sort of like not deify but like sanctify like poor people and lower class people or po's like black people and you know they love putting like angel wings on people and they love thanking george floyd for sacrificing himself for the democratic party and they like wearing kinte claws and kneeling and all this shit and in general they just like to wrap a lot of sanctimonious you know, uh, ritual around people who, uh, you know, are outside of the outside of, you know, the establishment. And it's fucking weird. I don't know whether being that's kind of fucked up, isn't it? Yeah. And they're uh, kind of like, they're like canonizing poor people, but that also allows them to never actually, uh, give them a voice. Cause if you do give them a voice, they're going to say a lot of things that you, uh, at, at the very least, will embarrass you, like Eric Adams. or at worst, you uh, seriously disagree with. And I, I, I think yeah. you see this problem with a lot of that was Trump in a way. Yeah, well, with like elite Asian Americans, off mm-hmm. like nowadays, like everyone's claiming to uh, be like uh, for the the working class Asians. Like, where are the working class Asians? Like, uh, you know, whatever media uh, product comes out, like, oh, this is so uh, upper middle class. East Asian privilege, you know, you know that kind of talk. Yeah, but uh, they're the exact same type of people. When let's say like a standard working class Asian American talks about, hey, we we're we kind of want more cops on the street, or we want to keep the standardized test. Oh, then then they they're like, oh, they throw up in their mouths because that they they can't actually have those people's real priorities respected. They have to just use them as symbols to to um, increase their own uh, credibility because. I don't know, like the uh, the upper classes are losing credibility uh, every second uh, these days. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I know you have a, you have to go soon. Uh, so, yeah. uh, any last thoughts before we wrap up? 
Uh, no, looking forward to that that '90s movie thing. We've yeah, been talking so, about so that get, for a while. Yeah, get mm-hmm. watching. We will come out uh, soon. So, listeners, hey, uh, if you want to know everything we're talking about on the episode, uh, as I said, the the five movies. Uh, so, hopefully, you've watched some of them. Some of them, like The Matrix, Fight Club, Office Space, American Beauty, and Clock Watchers. Uh, those will be the five we talk about. And it'll be just. You know, a lot of us, you know, going back, having to go back to work, uh, not me personally, but, you know, having to go back to the office, this, and, and you know, art, that article I mentioned at Slate, which is actually like a mainstream magazine, actually um, glorifying just stepping away from the job. It's like there, there, I think it has been a shift in mindset about how, how wedded you should be to your job and, and office culture in general. And I think these movies, even though they're like 20 years old, will uh, shed some light on that. So, yeah. Until then, uh, we'll catch you. Uh, Stay listening, and thank you for listening. Bye, everyone.